Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact, way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Stoyan Yankov. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Leaders Who Care. We are on a mission to find and feature some of the most caring leaders of the world, bring them together, the leaders who care, the leaders who are making a positive impact way beyond uh, profits and margins. And I'm uh, very, very excited this morning to have uh, one of these leaders with me at episode 50, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yes. Yay. It's been, wow. uh, it's been a little a little more than a year since we started on this journey and uh, we couldn't be more happy to have Claire this morning with us. Thank An you. Exceptional, exceptional leader who cares, who's been recommended by the network of the leaders who care. So we had no choice to, but to invite her to, <laughs> to be a guest here with us. Claire, how are you this morning? I am very well. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Number 50, what a milestone. I feel under even more pressure now. Not only that, but like with the cast that you've had of, of amazing leaders, it's really inspirational. So I feel very humbled and slightly intimidated by the, those who have uh, preceded me, but really looking forward to chatting this morning. We are the one that the honor the humble to have you on, uh, Claire. Uh, where do you join us for uh, from this morning? I am in what I'd love to say was sunny Geneva, but I'm afraid it's a little bit grey and cloudy this morning, but we've had the most amazing autumn um, of blue skies and beautiful colours, so I can take one great morning, I guess. I love it. I love it. Claire, um, it would be fantastic for the audience to, to get a bit of a context around uh, your background. Uh, so why don't you tell us about your story? Uh, where did you start it and did you imagine that you are going to be where you are today? Uh, absolutely not. I think, you know, I always admire those people who are, who set out on a vision and a journey. This is where I'm going to be by what age. And I know exactly what I want to do. It, my, my life could probably be described as a series of happy events, um, accidental um, really driven by, you know, what, what was interesting to me at the time. So I was uh, born and brought up in the northwest of England. Um, so a place called Blackpool, um, which is most known for being a famous seaside resort. Uh, it's also quite rural in the area. I was very lucky. I had a really sort of simple childhood, um, went to my local school, you know, I, I had a very, very lovely childhood. I was very lucky, very privileged to have had that experience. Um, I was the first member of my family to go to university. So, you know, none of us really knew what we were doing. I think it would be fair to say. Um, so, you know, I was like, well, I better go and study something that will get me a job. Um, so, you know, I don't really like blood. So doctor is not not a good thing. Um, at the time, ironically, given what I do now, I wasn't very good at maths. Um, so I thought I better not be a, an accountant. Um, so I thought, well, a third option is law. So so I, I'll go off and study law and be a lawyer. Um, so off I trotted down to University of Warwick 
um, where I studied law for three years, but quickly kind of figured out that law probably wasn't for me. I like the arguing side, which won't be a surprise to anybody who knew me. But was it going to keep me excited and motivated every single day? It didn't feel that way. So I thought, well, I'll apply for a couple of graduate schemes. Um, you know, again, happy accidents. I originally applied, would you believe, to human resources, um, thinking, oh, well, that's about people. That sounds quite nice. Um, but the, the company who offered me the job said, well, we're not actually doing human resources um, in our graduate scheme this year. We are doing marketing, though. So we thought we'd just put you in marketing. So my whole marketing career is based on the fact that uh, SO Petroleum or ExxonMobil, uh, as, as they're known worldwide, didn't do a human resources uh, graduate scheme that particular year. And I got put into marketing, had no idea what marketing was. So all, all you know, all the people, you know, and I, and I really admire young people nowadays who know exactly what it is they want to do and, and research. I sort of fell into my degree. I fell into my first job uh, and, and it's all kind of gone from there. But, you know, working for a company that at the time was the largest company in the world, you know, was a real eye opener into the world of corporate life, um, the world of working full time and in large global multinational organizations and how you fit in. And I was there and, you know, I had a, a great set of experiences there, um, but realized that it wasn't the company for me in the long term. I think people often enter, you know, certainly the, the petrol companies at that time to stay there for life. Uh, and I knew that that wasn't the right move for me. So I went from one of the oldest, most stable, most structured organizations in the world, flipped right over to a dot-com company after the dot-com boom, after everything had crashed and, and what was left in the ashes. So I went over to work for a company called FreeServe, who had completely revolutionized the internet market back in the days before broadband. Yes, I am that old. Uh, it was narrowband. It was a revolutionized access to the internet. And we're now looking to really build on the massive customer base that they'd created. Uh, and I came in in a pretty junior role and, and worked my way through. And because of the nature of those times, FreeServe was bought by France Telecom, which owned the brand Wanadu. So Wanadu rebranded then later on to Orange. And I ended up in the orange family of companies, um, fantastic telecoms brand. And it's really that I think my time at Orange that really sort of, you know, transformed my career. I got given a, incredible opportunities with an incredible group of people. Um, again, Orange then um, did a joint venture in the UK with T-Mobile. They then became EE, which is now one of the, the largest telecoms uh, providers in the UK. So that whole experience, I had about 12 years from FreeServe, Wanadu, Orange, all the same company, changed my email address eight times. Um, but having the experience of all those mergers and changes and transformations was really instrumental in my career. I had 12 fantastic years in telecoms um, and really enjoyed this idea of, of being in the consumer services industry, really helping to build those long-term relationships with customers. I found that really interesting and really fascinating. Um, and then I moved over, you know, to a different industry, um, retail energy. 
Um, again, working to build those long-term relationships, make them really, really valuable with customers. So I went over, I'd, I'd spent a long time in marketing by that stage and never done a creative job. I'd always been in analytical and, you know, the very financial jobs. And I thought, well, I should go and do a creative job, but nobody's going to give me a brand director job. You know, nobody's going to put me in charge of adverts. Um, so I was lucky enough to to be hired to be CRM and digital marketing director for a company called SSE, which is one of the big energy providers in the UK. And that's where I was really able to, to get my creative brain and my creative experience in place, you know, looking at how we communicate with customers effectively, how we make attractive propositions, how we really create one-on-one -on -one conversations with customers instead of sort of mass broadcast. So that was really fascinating. And then I got approached out of the blue um, for a role working at my current company, which is Verishaw. Uh, Verishaw is uh, Europe's second largest uh, sorry, the world's large, the world's second largest security company, Europe's largest. Uh, so we protect people in their homes. You know, we talk about caring. This is the leaders who care. What this company does is literally care for people. Um, we make sure people are protected, uh, that they feel safe and secure in their homes uh, by protecting them 24-7, 365. So that felt like such an exciting place to be. An incredible organization and it meant to move to Switzerland which is where our global headquarters are. Um, I work in a global role so I have this amazing job where I get to work with people you know in Europe and Latin America. Um, my team are based all over Europe uh, so I'm really really lucky to have you know again fallen into all of these opportunities. People have gone what do you think about this job? And I've gone, that sounds interesting. Um, so for me, it's it's been all about what sounds interesting, what sounds like it's going to keep me entertained uh, and keep me excited and motivated for the next few years, which is why I've ended up here in beautiful Geneva, um, having a, a really exciting role and having a really, really lovely life here. That's how I got here. <laughs> Claire, I have just about uh, 72 questions after your introduction. <laughs> but let me let me start with uh, with this one. Um, if you can go back in time, uh, and we do have a lot of uh, young leaders listening to this uh, podcast. If you go back in time and, and you're 18 or 20 years old, what would be your advice to your younger version? Um, do more research for a start. I mean, I, I was pretty... Clueless. I mean, it was sort of, you didn't have access back then to all of the information you have at your fingertips now. But I did, I really sort of just did just fall into things. And, and in some ways, that was actually quite a good thing. You know, I didn't always know what I was jumping into. And that that's great. So on one side, make sure you've done some research. But on the other, on the other side, don't be afraid to jump in, you know, don't be afraid to do something completely different and take yourself away. There's been a number of moments in my life where I've had the opportunity to throw my pretty much my whole life up in the air and try something different. And those have usually been the richest and, and most wonderful experiences. So don't be afraid to, to kind of take those spontaneous decisions, but always back it up with a little bit of research. I think uh, as well, um, one of the pieces of advice I would give to myself in many aspects, career and personal, is don't wait until it's bad enough 
jump when it's not good enough. So, you know, I've got a tendency to somehow, you know, I'm, I'm quite an optimistic person. I always hope things will get better. Oh, it's not, it's not so bad. Or, you know, perhaps it'll get better. Actually, you know, sometimes you need to draw a line under a relationship that's not working, whether that's a friendship, a partnership, a work relationship, uh, the organization that you're working for. So, so one of the things I, I tend to try and make things work for a little bit too long. I've stayed at companies for longer than I should have done. You know, I've worked on friendships for longer than I should have done. So, you know, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. Um, so I think be a bit more kind of supportive in yourself about what what's going to work for you. And then I think um, the final piece of advice I give to, to anybody, and, and it's something I do try and follow myself, is always be appreciative of other people and their effort. You know, it's not something that I've had to learn, but it is something that I've noticed that many people just don't do. It's almost like saying thank you is rationed. And if I say thank you to this many people, then that will be use up my thank yous. Whereas actually there is no limit. You know, there's no there's no finite amount of praise, credit, thank you. So, you know, I think if you if you're starting out in business, never be afraid to thank people for what they've done to help you in your journey or thank people who work for you for doing a great piece of, of, of work. So if any of my team are listening, thank you guys um and thank you to your boss you know when you're leading a team sometimes you know it's nice to feel like you're doing a good job so you know if, if your bosses are doing a great job don't be afraid to say thank you to them because a thank you is always appreciated three thank quite you. random thank you claire <laughs> thank you claire for 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 bringing this up i think such an important point and and just make me think we have so many opportunities to thank right you go on a, on a trip and you right. can thank the housekeeper and you can take the thank the the waiter at the you can thank the cook and write a little message and say thank you for the beautiful food yeah uh, this whole gratitude yeah and and it's not to keep it in ourselves and say oh they know they did a good food no no <laughs> so, out there. it doesn't cost you anything it doesn't hurt you know you know say it to your customers thank you i mean it you know it, these things don't run out but but they do leave a sense behind you that that you're you know that person will take that feeling with them all day so it really makes a difference to people's lives so you know it's it's something i try and be conscious of saying often um and 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 try not to forget but it's something that i'd encourage everybody just to do more of and you started the sharing this as one of the traits of a caring leader right being grateful and praising people for the amazing things they do. What are some other traits that you would uh, suggest a caring leader possesses? From your own experience, you've met so many people, you yourself been working many years in the industry. What are the traits of a caring leader? I think um, one of my most important ones is empowerment. Um, anybody who's ever worked for me will have heard the phrase, what do you think we should do? Um, you know, I, I tried to very consciously not be the kind of leader who tells their team what to do. I want the, my team to tell me what they're going to do, me to check that it's broadly in the right direction. But, you know, I never want to be those. I, I've seen leaders 
very, very senior people in organizations critiquing um, a TV advert to the tiniest, tiniest detail. And I'm like, you've, you've got five or six people underneath you whose literal job that is, but you're not trusting them and you're not empowering them to, to, to do that piece of work. So even though it's really hard and it's one of the hardest things that you can do when you see someone doing a piece of work, which is good, but not exactly how you would have done it. The temptation is to leap in and go, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. But I think empowering your team to make them feel like they are responsible for their own work. They're accountable for what they deliver. And actually, if they do a good job, they get the praise. They get the credit. You know, I always believe that the role of a leader is to praise publicly scold privately so if your team aren't doing a good job you never ever broadcast that in public but you're there as a cheerleader for your team to clear the way for them and, and make sure that that you're giving them all of that space so I think you know empowering your team is is one that's really really important to me um I think the whole idea of clearing the way um you know I, li I live in Switzerland there's a lot of snow on the ground around here so snow plows are very important for us living here and really that's the role of a leader to clear the way so that your team can be the best version of themselves do the great work you need to be behind the scenes you know making the connections clearing the road clearing the roadblocks making sure that your team have the ability to shine do their job make sure they're rewarded um and for me, that's that's incredibly important. You know, what can I do to help? How can I clear the way for you? Who do you need to me to speak to to make this happen? And I think that's a really, really important one for me. And then thirdly, and this would be very surprising if somebody in my position didn't say this, I think, you know, caring for the customer. Um, so many companies say, oh yes, we're very customer centric. Yeah, we're very customer focused. Name me a company that doesn't say that. You know, I think I've worked, I've been lucky to work for some companies that really have genuinely been customer centric, customer focused. It is entirely possible to be both caring about your customer and caring about your shareholder. They are not necessarily incompatible. And I think we're really seeing that, you know, with the rise of activism, with, with shareholder activism as well. You know, we're seeing that actually being caring about your customers, the environment that you're operating in becomes more important as we move forward. So I think, you know, my role has always been to be the champion of the customer, make sure that, that the work that we're doing as an organization benefits our shareholders, benefits our colleagues, but also benefits our customers. Finding that virtuous circle, that sweet spot where you're doing a great thing for your customers, but you're also doing a great thing for your shareholders. And as a leader... And as the people I've worked for and that I really admire, I think that aspect of being customer centric is actually an incredible part of uh, incredibly important part of leadership. And let's stay with uh, here a little bit on the third one, caring for the customer. Can you remember any really horrible example of a, of a company or somebody who were pretending they care for the customer, but actually they did not I think um obviously I have to be careful <laughs> none of the companies I've worked for has ever done this 
Uh, no. Uh, so, so you know, it's not it's not the big things. I think there is often a perception. You know, I've worked in in some companies where which are often seen as evil. So I worked for an oil company. I worked for an energy company. I worked for a mobile phone company. In many people's eyes, these are evil companies, and therefore anybody who works there must also be evil. And that's simply not true. You know, I've worked for these companies and these people, these companies, there's no such person as a company. A company is a combination of all the people who operate within that company. And I've worked for these companies where the people on the ground care so much. You know, when I was at SSE, the call center operators were some of the most dedicated that I've ever experienced. A lot of them were dealing with some very vulnerable customers each day and their level of patience and care was incredible. So this idea that, you know, everybody who works in a company reflects, you know, a company's external perception, it isn't true because it's really the frontline teams, the people facing the customer that where you need to have that customer centric culture. It is often the case where doing what customers want you to do isn't the right decision commercially. If I go to any person anywhere and say, what would make you more loyal to a company? They always say, give me a discount. I should be, I should be rewarded for my loyalty. I should be, get cheaper prices because I've been loyal. But that's not always easy for, for a company to do. You know, that, that comes with a cost where I believe that we need to do the right thing for both the shareholder and the customer is not give customers discounts, but give more value. You know, make sure that as a company, you're giving a brilliant service, that you are providing excellence in everything you do, that you're creating innovation that's interesting to your new customers. So I think, you know, this is about value creation, not just about giving things away or making customers happy. You know, even as a customer champion, customers aren't always right. What customers always want isn't always what they should have. But actually, how can you create something that works for you as an organization, for your shareholders and for your colleagues, but also really importantly for your customers? There are many examples, and I'm not going to give you any story of, of organizations that I've seen where, you know, there is a very clear route to make the customer happier, to give a better service. And companies don't do that. And do you know what happens to those companies? They fail because somebody else will go and do that, will go and take that position. And, and it's all a matter of time. Sometimes, you know, there are projects and anybody who's worked in these big organizations, you know, anything that's to do with changing systems in the background, big customer service transformations, they are painful and they're expensive. But you need to kind of take a deep breath, take a moment and do it because the need to, to do that isn't going to go away. You're going to have to do it at some point. So you may as well commit, go in and, and make sure you're delivering it. That's an example of where I think there are companies, and I'm not going to name any of them, um, where you know sure. doing the wrong thing for the customer has meant that they failed. It reminds me when you're speaking about it uh, back in I think 2008, 2009. I was uh, working in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, right, and um, I landed the job at a clothes store, and 
my whole job was to fold t-shirts all day long for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> and after a few weeks, I got promoted so I can actually be on the cashier. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, I know. And um, it was the first time I experienced this because it wasn't something that's um, very normal for my origins are from Eastern Europe. I yeah. live in Denmark, right? Um, and um, a customer comes to the cashier and they had a little receipt with a sweatshirt for a kid's sweatshirt. Yeah. And she comes and she says, hi, uh, I bought this mm, two years ago for Christmas. Uh, my nephew wore it only twice and the zipper doesn't work. I would like to return it. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, just give me a sec. I need to speak to my manager. Yeah. Of course, it was my first day. And I'm like, uh, what do I do with this lady? And she was like, yeah, return it. Give her a new one. And we came. We smiled. And it was, thank you so much for being a loyal customer. Here's uh, what we can do for you, this and that. The lady smiled. She 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 traveled 60 miles to, get, to come and return wow. this thing. Um, but, but she comes back every time, right? And, yeah. and the, the policy of these with these guys, um, coffees of Cape Cod, I'm gonna give them, you know, leaders who care. <laughs> they were they were they were all about the long term. Yes. They were all about hey, I don't care about this uh, 12 dollar sweatshirt or whatever. I care about creating long-term relationships with our customers. And sometimes in the short term they might not be right, but yeah. but you care for them anyway. You give them empathy, love, and, and you give them value, as you said. And, and I want you to maybe share a little bit more about that. Uh, how can we become leaders who care for the customer in the long run? I think, I think in the long run, you have, to, you have to create that virtuous circle. You have to make that connection between commercial success and customer experience. It's not one or the other. It's both. So as marketers, we have to make the case. We have to show and demonstrate that caring for the customer creates shareholder value. So can you make the connection between, you know, in your example, did that woman come back and buy more things? Was she somebody who came and bought more sweatshirts as her nephew got older? Uh, and therefore, the act of compassion and caring by saying, hey, you know, with some customers, this would be just someone trying it on, seeing, you know, seeing if they could get a deal. But with this customer, you you had a good instinct or you knew her, you had data, you had insight that this particular customer was a good customer. They were a loyal customer. And that by doing something good for them, you would reap the rewards in that long term relationship. So I think as marketers and as leaders, making that connection between caring for the customer and caring for the commercial outcome is absolutely critical, is it is critical. As marketers and as leaders within marketers, we need to talk the language of the boardroom. You need to build those relationships with the CFO. You need to be best friends with your finance community because you need to be able to show that the decisions that you're making are not costs, they are investments. And that's something that we try and do, you know, certainly at Verishore, I was lucky enough to join the company who had decided, you know, they're in an, still in an incredible growth phase, but they are still saying, do you know what? We need to focus on our customer experience, on keeping our customers loyal. We have incredibly loyal customers, incredibly happy customers, 
but we're not satisfied with where we are. We need to keep making these investments because our business is a long-term business. You, you stay with us for a long time once you're in. So we have to make that really important. So I think, you know, to, to create that long-term impact, the number one thing you can do is prove the value. You know, I always try and, you know, balance in my role, taking the champion of the customer, being the champion of the customer, but never forgetting that one of the reasons why we're there is to, to make a long-term successful organization. And you don't do that by giving everything away, but you do it by being caring and compassionate towards your customers. You know, during the pandemic, sorry, that word, during COVID-19, you know, you, there were genuine cases of hardship. You know, people who had been loyal customers for, for a long time in many industries suddenly found, hey, I've got no work anymore. I've got no jobs anymore. You know, I, I have no income. How you treat those customers will be remembered. You know, those customers, when the good times come back again, will remember those companies who weren't empathetic and weren't caring during that crisis. So I'm really proud to work for an organization that really tried to protect not only our own people, but also our customers as well. You know, we're in the protection organization. We're people who protect people. Um, so I'm really proud that, that we put measures in place to really help keep our, our customers safe during the crisis. Hard times show the faces of the leaders, right? And, uh, you know, so many examples. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, uh, I'm working a lot with uh, startup founders, um, founders of organizations that are scale-ups and, and bigger organizations. And uh, I see sometimes, especially early when they started as entrepreneurs, they, they, they're so excited to go and sell the product yeah. that they, they built that they forget that it's not about selling the product. It's about offering value and creating more value yes. for what you're asking for. And they forget yeah. thinking about what value do I create? It's more, I have this product. It's the fastest. Is Hey, wait a second. You don't know me. You haven't asked me a question. You have no idea yeah. what I need. Are you, are you solving any of my problems and my needs? Do you try to be empathetic and to understand me before you actually come and even build a product? Yeah. There's so many technical founders, amazing, genius people, technical-wise, that build things people don't need. Yeah, that's the fastest speed of whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I don't need the fastest, right? Like, yeah. I have a yeah. lot of pain, but you didn't ask me. So, and, so I think that's a... And then, you know, on this one, I think there are also, you know, I think there are the entrepreneurs who build things without that customer focus and insight that you're talking about that go, I can build this, so I will, not knowing if anybody's interested in it or anybody wants it. But there's also a second set of entrepreneurs who build something that people do want, but they kind of forget that beyond the sale, customers have to live with that. For a long time that's what you hope as an entrepreneur that's what you're looking for so a lot of organizations and this is you know you see this all the time a lot of organizations build um, a sales organization a sales structure through digital marketing and they build they get incredible momentum you've seen it with loads of apps they've got millions of users you know and then go well what do i do with these people now now i've got to figure out how i serve them how I keep them as my customer, how I keep them using my app or service. And so many organizations can build a customer base and they can build it very fast, but they can't keep it. Um, and that, you know, you see the same, you know, in retailers, 
they can open up uh, an e-commerce store and they can be incredibly successful, but how many repeat purchases do they get? You know, what's their customer service like? You know, fashion retailers, what's the return service like? You know, if you've got a wonderful looking storefront and great merchandise, but in the back, you know, your complaints methodology is terrible. You can't return a parcel. It's really difficult to get a refund. Guess what? Your business won't last for very long. So I really admire the entrepreneurs who, when they set out, know that what they have to do on day one is all the boring stuff as well. So, you know, I was talking recently to a leader who is thinking about a startup and he wanted to be able to think about the end-to-end customer journey before they sold a single product. And that for me is customer-led leadership. And those organizations, those entrepreneurs that are brave enough to go, hey, it's not about hitting the KPIs on search, on reach, on all of those wonderful digital things, which I used to love to do as well when I I headed up digital marketing. But those leaders who, when you're an entrepreneur and you're a startup, you're thinking about how do I serve this customer in the long term? You know, I always say the process work is the most fundamental building blocks. They're the foundations, you know, how you're going to deal with an issue coming in. How are you going to deal with a customer service complaint? How are you going to deal with all of these things? Because they will come. And if you've not figured it out at the outset, it's going to be really, really hard for you to catch up. Put those foundations in. They're not shiny. They're not sparkly but they are solid and they will help you make a really, really successful long-term business if you want to keep your customers for a long time. I love what you're saying. I interviewed once a growth marketer. Uh, his name is Patrick Collins, and I'm sure you're aware of those type of concepts, but uh, mm, he mentioned this uh, whole idea. Everybody's looking for growth hacking techniques yes. and what is the five steps and the tool and the thing. Yeah. And, and and he hasn't having worked with so many organizations it was like the, the approach you want to take as a mindset is crawl, walk, rocket, yeah. right? Because you're crawling, you're trying to figure things out, you're building the basics, you're yes. uh, trying with 100 users on LinkedIn this message manually. Like, yeah. why would you automate something if you haven't tested if it works? It doesn't exactly. make sense, right? But now that we tested with... Uh, 500 people manually without building any pages and anything. Okay, now we don't have the capacity to handle it manually. It's time for us to scale and to actually find some tools. Exactly. And so many times the the achievement feels like we got a million, you know, people downloading our app. And then three months later of those million people, only maybe 100,000 have opened it more than once. And why is that? Oh, well, because when I opened it, there were too many click throughs and too many, you know, people, if you don't design the customer journey and the customer experience, it's going to be quite hard to keep that sales momentum. So I really admire those leaders who take such an active and responsible approach on on how they're going to handle those customers long term, because it's much harder to dig up the foundations and put them back in once you've got a successful business on top. So it's always worth thinking about how you're going to manage your customer base going forward. And that's something I really love to do. Uh, we had another leader at the podcast who's uh, amazing, the leader Sukia Gabriela. Um, and uh, she she was talking about uh, strategy execution. 
she's uh, she's in strategy. Uh, she's a former chief of strategy at Nokia and other big organizations. And, and mm -hmm. she spoke about strategy execution and, and how many leaders are very ambitious, but uh, don't take the time when they set the strategy to, to measure whether we have the capability to actually deliver on such an ambitious yeah. uh, promise. Uh, so I wonder what, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I had I had an old CEO uh, who I thought was fantastic. Um, a guy called Olaf Swanty. He was he was really instrumental on the creation of EE. And his favorite word was execution. You can have the best strategy in the world, but if you can't execute it, you're nowhere. You know, you can spend a lot of money in the big space thinking about it, but you know, I um I'm quite a big picture thinker in Myers Briggs. I'm an intuitive type. But all us intuitive types need the sensing types around us to sense check. How are you going to do this? How will this work? What might this do? So I think one of the one of the pieces is around have the people around you who don't look the same as you, who don't think the same as you. Every Mark Zuckerberg needs a Sheryl Sandberg, um, despite the controversies Facebook are going into. But you need if you if you're the creative one, you need the people around you who are the ones going, well, actually, how do you bring that to life? How do you make that happen? You know, execution is is incredibly important, the way that you are going to fulfill that strategy, because without execution, you have nothing. And, and a poor execution, you know, really results in, in, in bad stuff happening. And I think organizations need to think of customer experience, customer service, not as a, a cost center that is about minimizing it, cut it down, make it efficient. All of those things are important. But what's the outcome that you're trying to deliver? The outcome you're trying to deliver is customers who stay with you longer. So fix the problem. Don't try and get off the phone um, as you know, without the problem being solved. Reward your people for doing the right things. So for me, the strategy is if the strategy of any organization is to, you know, keep growing, be more successful, have more customers. Those strategies are kind of unified across whatever organization you work in. And how do you do that? You, you get your customers on board by attractive products. And many organizations stop there. We build something great. We charge it at a good price. People come. But then they come and nothing else. It's a blank wall. Nothing's really being prepared. So they've opened the door into this beautiful, shiny house that they've been promised. And nothing's complete. So I really encourage people, again, execution. If your strategy is to be successful, you know, lots and lots of customers, lots and lots of happy customers, make sure that you you pay some attention to how you're going to execute. I love that uh, one of the the villains of execution, actually, we, we in, in my book, um, Perform the unsexy truth about startup success. I published a book earlier this year with uh, with a co-author, Cristobal Alonso. Um, and one of the chapters is about focus and execution. And one of the five villains of focus and execution we distinguish there is uh, the shiny object syndrome. Yes, hundred percent. The 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 urge to go out and do the new stuff because we're so yeah. excited about the novelty. Uh, yeah. Aren't we already doing this marketing strategy, that and that? Yeah, but this new thing is going to be amazing. Yeah. It's like, okay, um, take a breath. Hold on a second. I love what you said. Stress testing those kind of new ideas and before yeah. launching it on emotion. And um, yeah, I listened to a podcast and I loved the, the metaphor they used. Um, Tim Ferriss. 
probably aware yeah. of Tim Ferriss. Uh, he had a podcast and he he shared that every time he's about to launch a new campaign, a new product, a new project, he'll sit with his team and he really got inspired by military training, meaning they have this red team, blue team, uh, where, as I remember, the red team is the one that is about to attack and the blue team needs to defend, uh -huh. usually a base or something, right? Yeah. And he, what he says is, I want to be the blue team. And I, I bring, line up my whole team and they're the red team. So I show them my idea of how I'm going to market this new book. Yeah. And they have to kill me. They have to yeah. challenge me. They have to stress test it. Yeah. And if it, if it stands, if I actually manage to defend it, then we go with it. Exactly. Exactly. It's being brave enough to set up your pet projects, your baby for that that kind of scrutiny and attack because it it's better to do that with a friendly audience than than set it live in the wild and and have your customers you know throw stones at it because it's not good enough so you know actually i i really love that that the idea that you you need to defend you defend your projects but not at any cost you know actually do they stand up to the scrutiny do they stand up to you know, life in the real world, outside the environment of the lab, outside of the environment of the, the tech hub or the studio, you know, do your ideas really exist? You know, do will customers use them and how do they fit with customers' lifetimes? I always love those moments where, you know, sometimes you're very privileged in, in businesses that I've worked in, where you get to go into customers' homes or you get to talk to customers about how they've experienced your product and service. And they are the most incredible experiences because you see, you know, the business that you spend many, many hours of your life thinking about in great detail is a fraction of the time that a customer will spend. You know, you, you know, our job is to be frictionless. It's not to make customers' lives more difficult. It's always to make customers' lives more simple and straightforward. They don't spend a lot of time thinking about you, no matter who you are, even Apple and Google, nobody thinks about you. Um, Amazon very wants much. one click checkout, right? Exactly. You you want to minimize your interaction because, hey, there's much more important things going on with your family and your friends and the people, the enjoyment and the pleasures in life, the stresses that you're dealing with. You don't want the companies and the services that you use to, to add more stress to you. So our job as creators, entrepreneurs, marketers is to remove stress, to make it frictionless to work with us. And actually, when you see customers in their homes or how they use your service in daily life, it helps to bring that to life. We will spend a lot of time looking at a wireframe. Does it look perfect? Does this work? You know, does it look beautiful? A customer will spend a fraction of a second on that page. So let's spend the time in making sure that that experience is so good that they don't consider, do I need this? Is this right for me? Does this change? It's slick. It works. It does exactly the job it's supposed to. It surprises you. It delights you. These are the things that we're there to, to create, not more process, not more hassle. And it uh, urges me to ask you a question. You, you're doing so many things as a, as a customer marketing director, and I can imagine you've also, you also presented on plenty of different ideas, opportunities, projects on a daily basis, how do you prioritize? How do you decide these are the projects, these are the procedures we're going to go on with, with all the different choices that you have presented with? 
I mean, I mean, it, it is um, one of the things about working at Berryshaw, which, you know, is a very entrepreneurial environment, actually, is you can create your own role. And, and so you can take on, you know, things, you know, I, I when I came in, nobody had done my job before. So I could create my own job, you know, create the things that I thought would add the most value. We're also a highly decentralized organization. So our markets, you know, have the operational and day to day that gives me the freedom to think about what's going to be this place we need to go in the next two to three years. So having people in your organization who have the freedom to be not putting out operational fires every day and dealing with what's going on, but have the ability and the space to think about what's going to be important, not tomorrow, not in six months time, but in 18 months, in three years time, make sure you're having that. In terms of prioritization, it's about impact. So you always prioritize based on impact, you know, what's going to be important, what's going to deliver the most value for the company and the customers, where do they combine? Where can we create something that, that's really value added? I spend a lot of my time in the marketing technology space. I think there's some really exciting developments there that help to strip out some of that complexity that we've been talking about, that really help to make the right kind of decisions for the right kind of customer. They're customer-led. They're about what's right for this particular customer. But also it talks about, you know, how do we create the most value by keeping that customer loyal, by encouraging them to buy more brilliant products and services that they've perhaps not seen before. So for me, the prioritization metrics is always on outcome. You know, what does this go? What will this deliver? How will this add value to the organization? If we're doing projects that are not going to add value, we should be challenging them. We should be questioning them in an organization like mine. And in fact, most of the companies I've worked in, the challenge is not what to do, it's what not to do. And making, you know, real real insightful choices about what not to do is just as important as making the decision on what you are going to do. So again, what's really important is having the courage and it takes courage to deprioritize activities and actions, particularly those that you really like, that you really believe in. That's the hardest thing to do, to kill your ideas. Um, and anybody, any entrepreneur who's got the courage to do that, I really admire because that, that's one of the hardest things that you can do. Absolutely agree. And when you mentioned uh, getting clear on the outcome, this is something, uh, philosophy I live by. And we also had another exceptional leader, David Dallan, the author and creator of GTD, Getting Things Done, uh, being a guest at the, the Leaders Who Care. Another exceptional episode, guys, you got to check it out for sure. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that uh, he's all about, he's always been at the core of his philosophy, is having clear intention about anything you do. Let's do this marketing project. Okay, what is the intention? What is the outcome? What is the end result we are after? He even went further back at podcast and he was talking about your personal life let's go on a vacation okay what's the outcome what, what do you want to get out of this vacation yeah. if this vacation is over what's the result did you connect it with your loved one did you have party all the time and kind of mm -hmm. clear your mind like what is your outcome because once you're clear what's the outcome you can build things backwards and take the actions and choose the projects that will lead you towards this outcome 
So it's such a great uh, reminder, Claire. Yeah, for and I think it's a good sense check as well. So, you know, like many organizations, we measure customer satisfaction using the Net Promoter Score, NPS. And, and Fred Reichheld, who, who created that measure, has expressed his frustration about the way that many companies use it to pat themselves on the back or just treat it as a KPI. The measure itself is not the important thing. The important thing is customers are telling you how they feel about you in order that you can create better outcomes. The outcome isn't the score. The outcome is what you do with the intelligence and the insight that, that delivers the score. You know, And I think what we, we spend a lot of time doing is getting behind the score, what's driving that, that satisfaction. But I think that's always an important reminder. The outcome isn't the score. The outcome is the changes that you make as a result of asking the customers how they feel about you. And talking about customers and how they feel, um, I'm curious in 2021, what is the stage of word of mouth? It used to be such a hot word uh, in the marketing realm, maybe 10, 15 years ago, everybody was talking about creating word of mouth. Where is that at the moment and how can we get the most out of word of mouth in 2021? Word of mouth is incredibly important um, and I think it, it becomes more important. It's in many ways, it's more democratic now because there are lots of um, hubs where people can find online reviews from other customers. You know, you've got Trustpilot, you've got TripAdvisor, you've got all of those kind of areas where people, you know, crowdsource reviews and, and information. But there is something extra special about talking to someone you actually know in real life about a provider or a service. And that that might be more dif different depending on the kind of industry that you are. We work in businesses which is about long term relationships. So for us, it's incredibly important. There is nothing stronger and more important than one of our customers recommending our service to one of their friends or family members. You know, that that is what we look for. Um, and it's something that we work very, very hard on to make sure that those customers feel able to, you know, it's a very trustworthy position to be in. It's not like maybe in the FMCG world where you're, you know, maybe recommending a brand of toothpaste, which is relatively low investment. Um, if you don't like it, you throw it away and you get a new one. In those businesses, you know, I'm thinking banks, I'm thinking businesses like ours, where you're going to have this long-term relationship it's an, it's, it's an incredibly trustworthy thing to do if somebody asks you that. It's like if you're doing renovations on your house and you want a recommendation of a builder, if you're the recommender, you feel a little bit, you know, conscious of the fact that you've recommended this person and you hope they do a good job. It's not something that you would just do quickly and easily. So for us, word of mouth, particularly from individual customers who are recommending person to person, is really, really important. The crowdsourcing, the trust pilots are, of course, incredibly important. That's where people start. Um, but that personal recommendation is something that's really, really important to us. And all organizations, particularly in what I'd call high investment areas, um, which isn't about big sums of money, but they are about emotional uh, things that are important to our customers, like your home, um, things that you're doing to your home, things that are important to your family, those high investment areas, it's really worth investing in your customer experience so that they generate more business for you. There's nothing more powerful. And thinking of also um, referrals, you mentioned referrals. Should referrals be a proactive strategy 
for people in B2B, let's say. There's many leaders in B2B listening, uh, entrepreneurs, startups, and also executives listening to the leaders who care. I think it'll be very interesting to hear your take on this. So, so you know, certainly in the consumer world, um, it's important that it's done with respect and it's important it's done off the back of delivering something valuable to customers in the first place. So in a B2B context, the same thing applies. Have you got a good relationship with this customer? Have you delivered a service that you're proud of as a, as a leader and as an individual? If you are, it's really always worth opening to say, you know, could I use you as a testimonial, which is a slightly more passive route. You know, you have active referral, which is I will go to this person and say, hey, the, the, the people you need to talk to are this company. It's very active. That requires customer effort. If you've got a really good relationship with a customer, that's something that you can you can certainly work on. But maybe start with some of the passive testimonial work, which is, you know, would you be prepared to offer a statement or make a short video? Or, you know, we have some customers, you know, we're in the business of saving lives. Um, so, you know, we often have customers who we've made an incredible intervention, which has saved the life of them or a family member or dogs. Uh, we've saved a number of dogs from fire. Um, and these are incredibly hot clenching moments. These are the moments which people will remember for the rest of their lives. They're incredibly powerful. And we've been privileged enough that many of our customers have told us just how much, you know, they they really appreciate what we've done for them. And in those customers, they have been able and happy to, to make testimonials for us. Um, so again, from a B2B perspective, I would say, don't ask for a referral until you've delivered a great customer experience. Make sure that customer is happy that you're delivering that fair service um, for a fair price. If that's the case and you feel that that's the relationship, many people are happy if they're getting a good service to recommend. I know I am. Um, if I'm recommending, you know, if, if people ask me, you know, who do you use for this kind of technology? You know, I'm always happy to make those recommendations because of the service that I'm getting. Yeah, and sometimes now that you're speaking, sometimes I also love to, if somebody asked me, they did a good service for me and they're very kind and respectful. Absolutely. And they asked me for, uh, could you introduce me to this person? And I I feel like they actually did an amazing job. I'm yeah. happy to introduce them, but because I'm really busy, I might not introduce them otherwise, right? So yeah. um, so it has to be it's exactly. sensitive, right? But 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 yeah. you got to feel it. And um, Claire, you mentioned uh, some some beautiful things just uh, with the dogs with these things you've been recommended to be part of the leaders who care not <laughs> just because you're exceptional marketing executive but because you are a leader who cares and i'm just curious and i think the audience is also curious what are you excited about these days what really what are you passionate about and excited about these days um i i actually feel so, sometimes the world feels like it's a very dark place and, and there's lots of conflict, but I actually feel really optimistic um, about where we're going as an organization. You know, I think Gen Z, um, you know, I think they are the most caring generation. They're, they're passionate. My friend's niece has just finished her A-levels. She's having a year out from university. And rather than going backpacking and, and, and having fun, she's volunteering with young people who are underprivileged. And I, I just take my hat off to her. You know, I think this generation will change the world. Um, and I'm really happy as a proud Gen Zer um, to, to let those people, uh, you know, step forward and, and really, you know, create that optimism. I think, 
you know, what makes me excited about my work, again, is keeping me interested. There's nothing better. The thing that I love the most is people that have worked for me in the past when they go on to do great and amazing things. I love to see, you know, former you know, colleagues and former team members who I feel I've made a small contribution to, to who they are and, and, and give them the confidence. And a lot of my role, you know, I was lucky enough to have relatively early in my career, a, a leader, a boss who really helped me come out of my shell. I was very shy, retiring, wasn't very confident in what I did. Um, and she really helped to bring me out of that shell. And that's something that I try and pay forward. You know, I, I try and give that to some other people. So I love to see it when people that I that have worked for me in the past go forward and move on to bigger and better things. Um, you know, so that gives me so much joy and so much inspiration and so much energy. And I truly think that, you know, we've got COP26 coming up and, and the green and, and how we become more environmentally friendly as, as a world. I think it's a business challenge. You know, we put so much pressure on governments to to do all of these things but as businesses I would love to see how we as leaders can can do a lot more of that and I know many shareholders are looking a lot more for that as well and I love that power the power of commerce and the power of finance I love to see that put in the right kind of spaces to encourage businesses to make some of those again investments they're not costs they are investments in the future you know, and, and we're looking at things, you know, we have a big fleet of cars, how can we make them electric, you know, how can we make that really practical and really tangible as a, as a benefit that we can bring to the planet. So I think the green challenge is something that I think is an incredible challenge. It's something that I don't want to leave to Gen Z. Um, but I think we should take a hold of as business leaders, but I'm confident that we can change it. And we will change it. But I think we we I'm, I'm excited about the challenge. And by the way, uh, just a couple of days ago, I listened to probably the the most inspiring keynote about uh, climate change ever. Uh, it's I'm not sure you, you you've listened to it, but we're going to post it in the in the podcast notes. It's by Arnold Schwarzenegger, actually. Uh, three months ago, he did uh, this speech, and it's uh, just so eye opening. And his main idea is we need to shift the narrative. We need to start talking about hope we need to show the bright stories the positive stories we need to start showing that actually we're doing a lot of good things mm -hmm. instead of just giving some numbers and and saying some words that nobody understands but but it's a it's a brilliant keynote i'll send it to you yeah. i think you enjoy it and, and and i think it's a very good point you're making like we, we need to take ownership each of us people love hope and they love optimism i think that's entirely right as marketers you know, the most successful campaigns are about presenting a vision of beauty, optimism, positivity. It's rare that a negative campaign works. It may work temporarily. You may get a temporary uplift by being negative, but actually it's positivity um, that matters. You know, it's, it's not about trying to frighten people or trying to scare people it's about saying look what's possible look what's the future 
Um, and I think that's a really inspiring way to look at it. And I think, again, you know, that's why businesses can come through. We know how to talk to customers. We know how to talk to people in a way that governments, frankly, don't really. Um, so let's put that energy and let's put that capability to use. And, and as organizations, let's try and, and, and see what we can do to make our contribution. And since we're coming close to the end of this podcast and talk about uh, painting a vision, I'm actually curious, could you could you make me paint a vision for, for our listeners? If you if you think about the most positive and uh, optimistic future three, five years ahead, what uh, what do you see? What do you imagine is the most positive future? Where are we leading in the world? And and just to add to that, what should the leaders of today do more of in order for us to reach this outcome so so i'll start with the second bit first actually so so i think as leaders it's important that we pay it forward um you know that we've all had people in our careers and in our backgrounds who have done great things for us be that person for someone else you know be that mentor be the person who clears the way help other people become successful because great success is going to come from those coming up the road behind us so making sure that we clear the way for, for those individuals is incredibly important as a leader. And it's something that we can all do. And I think in a similar vein, I was lucky to spend my sort of formative career years in an organization where I never felt like a woman. I just felt like a person and I was part of a big organization. And that's not always the case for everybody. So as a vision for three to five years, what I would love to see in organizations is actually there is no longer a need for diversity and inclusion policies because it's now all practice that companies see the value in having a really diverse set of backgrounds, experiences, skill sets, that, that actually this is now you know, not something that needs to be fixed, but is something that happens. And maybe three to five years is too short a period of time to do that with all of those areas where we, we don't have that diversity of people. But I think that's something that we should be aiming for. We should be conscious of as organizations. You know, I, I, I remember walking into one organization and I was called a young lady, um, you know, and, and that was such a shock to me because I worked in an organization where, you know, very powerful women senior leaders um you know it was broadly 50 50 in the office and to go somewhere that was very different to that was was quite challenging and quite strange for me so i want to create more of that environment where you know you you don't feel like you're one that's an outlier and you you don't feel like you're the, the token representative but you do feel like you're part of a really cohesive and and coherent team without it being forced. So I think on the diversity front, I would love to see more of that. And then we've already talked about some of the environmental things, but really as personal leaders of what you can do as a leader, clear the way, be that snow snowplow again, uh, clear the way for the people coming behind you because there are some incredible talents out there. Uh, and if we give them the freedom and the space to grow and improve, who knows what's going to happen in the future. And on that token, uh, we had a question from our amazing young leader, a leader who cares. And because we want to be inclusive, of course, we want to include this question, if you don't mind, the uh, final question for, for this episode. So Irina is asking, she's saying, hello, it's a pleasure to listen to you. What do you think about mentoring and the importance for young people to be mentored? And then she, 
she's continuing also i'm really excited about <laughs> cop 2026 too i've been following who will be there and what we'll be discussing get more enthusiastic about happening but back to the question mentoring mentoring um i'm i'm a mentor uh for several people and i get a lot of joy from it so so from from a leadership perspective i think it's something that can give great energy for a young person i think it's it's great to do what's important is to be really conscious about what you want again it goes back to your point stoyana on outcomes what do you want from that mentorship um often people say oh i want a mentor and then when you say why they can't really answer the question so be think about why you want a mentor what is it that you're trying to achieve is it about networking finding the right contacts is it about i've got a specific challenge that i'm looking to solve um you know one of the people i work with was was um in a in a sales role and was really struggling to find her way and her way of, of doing that role so she and i worked one-on-one -on, -one on how she could become more confident and create a sales role in her own style um so think about what it is that you want to achieve is this about becoming a better leader is it about becoming more commercially aware so i really encourage mentorship i think it can be incredibly powerful i've benefited from having some wonderful mentors but think about your outcome think about what it is you want to achieve and choose your mentor based on that not on just the concept of having a mentor Claire, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you on, thank on you. the episode 50 of the <gasps> Leaders Who Care. <laughs> yes, we need to have a cake. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's been it's been just uh, the hour went like uh, flying away so somewhere. Fast. It's been amazing having you on. And um, I just want to remind everybody there's 49 more episodes. Uh, so you can go <laughs> find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all major podcast platforms. Subscribe rate uh, us on the podcast share with a friend if you feel like what we do uh, matters we're very happy to be here and bring you some of the most exciting some of the most caring leaders of the world like claire claire it's been such a pleasure god bless you thank you so much for being with thank us thank you very much for having me thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community, first by taking care of yourself, and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.